Hello, I'm Ray Reich, founder and CEO of RevOps Squared and host of the Metrics That Measure Up podcast. We talk to a wide variety of B2B SaaS industry thought leaders, executives, and people just like you to discuss what metrics, KPIs, and benchmarks they use to enable better data-driven metrics-informed decisions that accelerate revenue performance and increase enterprise value. Now, on to today's show. Welcome to today's episode of the Metrics That Measure Up podcast. Today, we are joined by Sally Doobie, Partner and Chief Sales Officer at The Bridge Group. Today, we will be discussing the insights and trends that were discovered during The Bridge Group's latest 2020 B2B sales compensation survey. We will be covering the following areas. CRO, Senior Vice President, Vice President of Sales, Compensation Benchmarks and Trends. Field Sales, Account Executive, Sales Compensation Benchmarks and Trends. Inside Sales Compensation sales development compensation, and sales operations and sales enablement compensation benchmarks and trends. Sally, please take a minute to introduce yourself and the Bridge Group to our listeners. Thanks so much, Ray. I really appreciate being here. So I am CSO of the Bridge Group, and the Bridge Group is a consulting firm that specializes in sales development and inside sales for B2B software and SaaS companies. In 22 years, we've been in business, and we do a lot of these compensation and metric surveys for probably the last 12 years now. So we're really steep in that market and segmentation. I know, Sally, when I was leading go-to-market teams, marketing, sales, and customer success, I always looked forward to the Bridge Group's compensation research, probably for 10 years now. But we're in a different time than all those previous years. This is still emerging from COVID. And some of the benchmarks that RevOps Squared's collected over the last six months include the fact that ARR growth is down almost 50% against the first half 20 plan. In fact, New name customer ARR is down even more, and over 80% of B2B SaaS companies have reduced operating expenses, and the number one function being impacted by those expense controls is sales, with 35% of the expense controls coming out of the sales group. The next closest is research and development and customer success with about 15%. So times have changed. So let's go into the first topic we're going to discuss, and that is how is compensation for chief revenue officers and really kind of SVPs of sales changed? And I know this is always a very passionate discussion that CFOs and CEOs have with their heads of sales. Yes, <laughs> it is. Compensation is a huge discussion, especially now. And so, you know, I think some of the changes that we saw in our survey that we just did, and let me say that the survey that we just did was a really quick snapshot of all the roles that you had mentioned with a particular focus on the Bay Area because it was done in conjunction with the VP of Sales Forum group that I co-founded 12 years ago, which is really focused on the Bay Area and California. And so what we saw on the CRO side of things, Ray, was that the timing of the variable comp payments is really starting to switch. CROs, head of sales, used to get paid quarterly 
for the most part. And that is really turned and switched to more companies are paying that variable comp out on a monthly basis for CROs, which is kind of interesting. And the fact that we saw a huge jump in equity increase, that it went up about 60% from two years ago when we did this survey in the Bay Area. Well, let's drill down into a couple of those things, because I know one of the things I love about your research is that you really segment the companies that you surveyed to by size, including both ARR size, but also by average contract value. And you mentioned monthly payments. I saw that going up to, I think you said 54% are now monthly. What do you think is driving that trend to paying the top of sales, the CRO, on a monthly basis over 50% of the time? You know, I think that these are sort of (laughs) some guesstimates on my part, but it does make sense in that you see that's the same type of payments on incentive comp that we see for field sales AE and inside sales and SDRs. So it makes sense to do the alignment so that you've got your CROs, head of sales are equally driven to drive that monthly cadence of closing business instead of quarterly or even annual. And that does make a difference. When you change those behaviors and you get that monthly payout, you can be much more focused on a monthly cadence of driving business versus a quarterly or even an annual basis. What do you think, Ray? Well, I think, number one, they are going to much more of a monthly measurements. If it's not a monthly quota, I see a lot of very tight focus on monthly performance. So I think since we've moved some of the quotas and objectives to monthly, they're aligning the compensation incentives to the measurement system. So that's my number one thought. Yes, I would totally agree. The other thing, on the chief revenue officer side, you mentioned that the equity amounts have went up drastically. And as I looked at the breakdown, even in the 20 million ARR and above, it was like almost 1% for 20 to 49 million and 1.3% for 50 to 99 million. To me, that almost reminds me of the days when it was, you know, that one to one and a half percent (laughs) under 20 million. And I was really thinking about what's driving that. And my number one conclusion is, We have so many more B2B software and SaaS companies today that there's a lot of competition and there's a lot of demand for talent. And it's the way you're going to get the best and brightest is increasing the equity amount. You think that's the right kind of assumption that I took away from this? Yeah, I would definitely agree. And especially if we look at the breakdowns, like there was a huge increase in the under 20 million size companies. And so those are your really earliest stages. And a lot of people over the years have gotten, I guess, a little leery (laughs) of such early stage companies, if you will, and coming in and being the head of sales, because you know you're not going to be there until the company goes public, right? That there is going to be huge turnover in those smaller companies. So the more equity to help drive and get people there, I think is really key. And then also in that 50 to 99 million, that's also, I think, a tough one that you hear from a lot of recruiters is that they're looking for people that have really grown companies from 50 to over 100 million, which again can be somewhat of a unique experience set to find. And so the more equity that you are offering, maybe you'll get more people into that realm. 
Makes total sense. And before we move on from the CRO and we go to the field-based account executive, for the folks out there who might be VPs of sales or even CFOs and CEOs, one of the things that I thought also was really interesting is you know, the median on target earnings is about 440000 But once you get to the 50000 to 99000 annual contract value, you see that going up even more, especially for those organizations with less than 20 million of ARR, which tells me that more and more earlier stage companies are trying to get to the enterprise market, trying to get their ACV up, and they're willing to pay more to get people with that experience. Yeah, totally agree. I think that throughout, there's a couple of other areas where we see that drive. We've kind of done a real switch. Again, Ray, we were, you know, back in like 2005 to 2009, it was really focused on the enterprise. Around 2010, especially when Marketo really came on the fold and they were really driving, you know, a lot of inbound leads. And that was really creating in the inbound a lot of lower deal sizes and focus on SMB markets. And that became all the rage until about maybe 2014, 2015. And now we're seeing again for the last five years a real trend to companies trying to move upstream, get into larger deals, sell into the enterprise, not leave behind SMB, but not as much focus on the SMB or even the mid-market. They're going for the big bucks. And I think that's all the pressure from investors and boards trying to drive up those deal sizes. Yeah, I just had Byron Dieter, who's a managing partner at Bessemer Venture Partners. And we were talking about so many organizations to try to scale from that 10 to 20 million, up to 50 million ARR and above. They're trying to be all thanks to all people. And it's really as a different skill set to sell to that SMB or even mid-market community and then moving into enterprise. He said the other thing, if you start at the enterprise to try to move down to the SMB market or go from a sales-led to a product-led sales motion also can be very difficult. And you got to bring that DNA in. But let's move on and talk about that rare bird today. And that's the field sales account executive. I guess in the last six months, there's no such thing as a field sales professional. <laughs> but, but Sally, what are some of the insights and surprises you found on the compensation changes for field-based AEs? Yeah. So, you know, I think that what was really interesting is number one, the OTE didn't go up that much in comparison to some of the other functions in the CRO. It only went up 2% from the survey that we did in 2018. We also found that for the field AEs, that under $50,000 average deal order OTE is a lot lower. It's lower by 16% this year. So I think that that was really interesting. And then there's no increase in the productivity of the field AE. The average wins still stands at 12. So that may have a trend as to why everything is staying, I guess, more flat, if you will. Got you. And another couple of things that really jumped out at me, and if you're a account executive listening to today's podcast, this is something for you to consider as you look at your own career progression. But you mentioned if the average contract value is less than 50K, the OTE there was 181, which is almost 30% lower than if you're in a solution value of 50,000 to 99,000. The other thing that really jumped out at me was the variable compensation rate, the percentage commission. 
And what this said in your survey was, if you have a 50,000 to 99,000 ACV, it's about seven to 8%. But if you move up to a true enterprise class solution, that's 100,000 to 250K ACV, that variable comp rate almost doubles to 14%. That really blew me away, Sally. Yeah, it is interesting. I think some of that, again, is that we're seeing maybe not as much understanding as to what it takes to get deals in those smaller segments or that it's presumed that those are easier and maybe driven more by inbound, which is true. Those are maybe driven slightly more by inbound than when you get up to that 100 plus average deal size. So yeah, it's something definitely as a field AE, if you want to make a lot of money, <laughs> go for the big average deal sizes if you can sell them. Now, at the same time, for those people listening, the other thing you need to consider though is that came out in your research was if you have a much larger ACV, your quota is also much higher. Yes. An example was if it's less than 50K, the quota for SaaS companies was around $900,000. But if you're in a 250,000 or greater ACV, that average quota goes up to 2.4 million. So there's also a big difference in your responsibility and the size of your quota. Yes, exactly. And again, you know, if you're selling a $250,000 deal, you don't have to close as many, even though it's a much higher number. So we had some that only had like their AEs were only closing six deals a year. And so I think that accounts for is because those are the guys that are closing those or people <laughs> that are closing those really big opportunities and you don't have to do as much. You know, and I think one of the interesting trends that we've seen over the years, Ray, is that sales reps used to really be focused, their quotas only on new business. And over the last four or five years, we've really seen that start to switch tremendously. And so that like in today, our survey, only 18% of the companies that responded, their quotas for field reps were based on new business and 82% included new business plus the expansion business from customers. So we're really seeing that switch. And I think that there's a couple of reasons and I'd love to hear what you think as well. But obviously the increase in the SaaS business and the trend towards moving upstream to the enterprise, as you do that in SaaS, we all know that you've got to focus on customer, you've got to reduce churn, and you've got to get that expansion business and really get yourself situated into that customer so that they don't ever can't imagine taking you out and pulling you out. And so selling those large deals into enterprise companies is not easy and there is a real skill set there. And so they're finding that they're getting much better success in getting that expansion and add-on business by ensuring that the field sales rep is involved in those accounts, not just a CSM member who typically maybe is not as steeped in sales is what we're finding. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think two things. So number one, I kind of looked at the correlation between account executives and the head of sales. And one of the things that I saw was they both have much more responsibility for the upsell cross-sell process. And I think there's two primary reasons. Number one, I've seen a lot more SaaS companies, even in the enterprise space, go to a land and expand model where mm -hmm. they want to be able to get in close the deal, get their solution deployed, and show the business value. Maybe it's to a select group of users or one department, and then expand over time. So that's one. 
And number two, and this is a lesson that I think we keep learning again and again, is that an account manager or a customer success rep, they have a different skill set and even different persona than a sales persona. And I think we've found that since upsells and cross-sells are so critical and net dollar retention, which measures existing customer baseline ARR plus growth, is a enterprise value multiplier effect that they've tried to really accelerate those upsells by bringing in the account executive. And then lastly, I think a lot of customers, they see that customer success rep as a success rep to make sure that they're utilizing and engaging with the product to maximize their business value. And they don't want to see that person acting like a salesperson who's trying to proactively identify and close new opportunities and new ARR. Yeah, I totally agree. I think the customer success role, while it's drastically needed, having a person that has the skills that can ensure adoption at a customer and be that go-to person to help them iron out all the technical details and again, ensure that their success when adopting is a really different skill set than the selling of additional business. So I think the two combined is a much better strategy. And I totally agree about the land and expand, especially today, we are seeing a lot of companies now, they're coming in at a much lower initial deal size because that's much more palatable in today's COVID situation as well, when budgets are extremely tight or have been cut. And then again, whether it's a paid proof of concept or whatever it is, it's much smaller deal. People from all parts of the company are working to make sure that they're very successful to get what the end game is, which is a really large deal. And those again, do take typically your sales of your sales rep skill sets and expertise to make those really large second and third deals happen. Well, I'll tell you, one of the things the last six months have done is it's really stimulated this, everybody is an inside sales professional in B2B sales. (laughs) There's no such thing. And when you think about that lower ACV and land and expand model, you might say, well, maybe a earlier career inside sales professional could do that. So what are you seeing as far as the most common trends and themes for inside sales compensation? Yeah, so we saw that the on-target earnings had increased 25% from 2018. It's big. And inside AE now, again, this is the sort of Bay Area, the big focus, West Coast and probably East Coast and Boston areas are getting these kinds of OTEs of $180,000. So I remember when it was just a little over $100,000, not all that long ago. So it's really rising quickly. We also see inside salespeople doing a lot larger average deal sizes. We had some that were 100 plus deal sizes. And obviously, the higher the average deal size, the more money you can make as well. And so we even had some inside sales AEs that their comp was $240,000 at that large end. (laughs) I saw that and I was blown away. But then I went and I correlated that to the quota for the 100K and above. And this also kind of blew me away, Sally. The average quota for an inside AE for $100,000 or greater ACV was 1.575 million for an inside sales rep. Yeah, yeah. We used to have high quotas back in the day in inside, but that was more when it was a teaming model, I would say. So it's interesting though that in general, 
we saw quotas lower this year from two years ago when we did the survey, all except for that lower end tier of average deal sizes of 25 to 50K, which is kind of interesting because anything under 50K is a real sweet spot for inside sales. But yet the median number of deals that an inside AE does every year is about 22. So not quite double what a field AE does, but yet Again, it went all the range from 54 deals a year down to 10. So that also explains the difference by your ASP. If your ASP is under 5K, you are probably doing at least 50 deals a year. Right. If not more. (laughs) Well, there is so much great data in this report. And at the end of today's podcast, we'll tell our audience and listeners where they can find it. But let's move on to that kind of really evolving entry-level B2B sales role, and that's sales development and the sales development rep. Anything jump out at you about the OTE or compensation you saw for SDRs? Yeah, so the OTE is up 12.5% to $90,000 OTE this year. And we also saw that the quotas are slipping a little bit, not a ton, but a little bit lower than it was two years ago. And I think also one area is that there's a lot of secondary and third locations where people are building up SDR teams to take advantage of lower costs because it is getting pretty expensive. And two, three, four years ago, we saw Atlanta as being a really popular option and location for SDR teams. This year, we didn't see that. We didn't see actually Atlanta come up at all. (laughs) So just kind of an interesting trend there. Yeah. The other thing I noticed was Austin also became a pretty big secondary market, but now their compensation is almost equal to the Bay Area. But Denver, Denver was like number one for San Francisco based primary teams that the secondary team was in Denver. Did that surprise you? No, we are seeing, I'm in Denver now, and we are seeing a lot of growth for the SDR out here and in Boulder. And because I think, as you said, Austin has gotten almost as expensive as the Bay Area and the East Coast, Seattle, the same. So there's definitely new markets that I think are trying to come up to still get some of those lower cost options. We've got a lot of great universities out here in Denver and a very young population. So it suits the SDR world a lot, I think. There you go. CEOs and CFOs looking to reduce your sales expense. Look at Denver. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Let me ask you the other thing about SDRs. This is really with RevOps Squared. I focus on gaining alignment throughout the go-to-market teams, whether that's marketing, sales, sales development, customer success, And I believe in anchoring objectives on close one ARR, or at least qualified pipeline. But what I saw in your survey was the number one quota element for sales development reps is a past lead, 64%, and then accepted was at 46%. Did any of that surprise you, or that even only 35% of SDRs had a closed one ARR component in their variable comp? No, this we find actually works the best. SDRs don't have anything to do with the closed one revenue. And if you're in an enterprise and your deal cycle is nine to 12 months, that pain on closed one doesn't really have an effect on them because 
they're probably out of the job before that deal even closes and they're moving on to their next role. So they wouldn't get paid on it anyway. <laughs> now, if you make it a small piece of the plan, maybe it's an additional spiff. That can, but again, I think you have to look at what your average close length cycle is to see if it's really going to have an impact or a focus. So we do really like to see, and this has been I think for many years that we pay the SDRs on what they have control over. We have seen in some companies, one really large <laughs> SaaS company is probably one of the first SaaS companies out of the boat too, that for a couple of years, they did pay their SDRs on closed one. And when I was talking to the leaders on the sales side, they were all getting upset because the SDRs were spending more time focused on the AEs and saying, hey, when are you going to close this deal? Why hasn't it closed by now? And the AEs are like, oh my God, I get enough pressure from my management team. I don't need my SDR <laughs> in my face asking about why I haven't closed it when they don't really have typically a lot of that understanding and skill set as to what it takes to close it. So this is something that, again, there's not a one size fits all model. It really depends on the company, the stage that you're at, the market you're selling to, are you evangelizing, but what works best? And we really like to see that accepted because that's the quality control because you always want quality. And so that's the quality control. How many got accepted? How many moved into the next stage in the pipeline? So what are your thoughts back on that, Ray? Well, you said something I hadn't thought about and I'm almost embarrassed to admit it, but that friction that can occur between the SDR and the AE can ratchet up when a percentage of your SDR compensation is based upon the AE's closed one ARR. And I hadn't really thought about that. So that makes total sense to me. The second thing that you said, and actually you took the words right out of my mouth, all of these compensation benchmarks, but especially SDR, one size does not fit all. Based yeah. upon what stage you are in market evolution, kind of that product market fit, or if you're doing more evangelism, you're going to have very different metrics, both the level of metrics and even the type of metrics based upon the stage of that product market fit. So I think it's really insightful, Sally. Yeah, I think, you know, and this is the challenge that we have. I mean, we have so many SDR specific challenges. And I think one of them is because people try to force fit a model. They were at one other company. That's what they knew. And they go to another company that is really different, selling into different buyers, different average deal sizes, different sales cycle length, right? Different product market fit. And they try to force fit a model and then pretty soon they're out of a job and they really don't even know why. But it's because, you know, again, there's not a one size fits all model. And if somebody tries to tell you that, I would kind of run the other way yeah, <laughs> from so, them. Yeah. How many models have you seen? How many opportunities have you led SDR teams? Totally get it. Hey, two yeah. of the things I just wanted to highlight real quick was you mentioned 90,000 as the median OTE on target earnings for an SDR in the Bay Area. Yes. But what's interesting there, unlike the 50-50 split you see for most CROs or inside and field-based AEs, the split was 67% base salary and 33% variable comp. Is that pretty consistent or do you see a wide range of those, the mix ratio? No, you know what? That is pretty consistent. We typically do see no less than 60% on base. 
and it's no more than up to 70%. So right in that 60 to 65% range of being on base and the rest on variable is really what we see. And some of that is because, again, especially if you're on the coast, you know, if you did 50-50, now you've got a base salary that may be down in the 40s. And it's just really hard to survive in those cost centers today with a 40K base, even coming straight out of college. Right. The last thing I just wanted to ask you about the sales development rep was the level of quota. You mentioned it's a little lower this year, but I think your median as far as past leads was 10. And the median accepted was a 5.5, so about a 55% acceptance rate. Is there any nuances or insights you have regarding 10 being the median past? Is it a lot more in smaller deals, a lot less in bigger deals? Yeah, so that median is really around more doing the larger deals and more like enterprise selling into either the large end of the mid-market. Everybody's got such different definitions of mid-market or the commercial market space. A lot of companies are calling it now and the enterprise. So it really depends. I mean, you know, and most of that I would say is outbound versus inbound. We tend to see, especially under those smaller deal sizes that are more inbound related, that they could have a quota of 20 to 25 a month that on those size deals. So it's, again, this is where it's really critical that it's not a one size fits all model. These are all the different variables. We have a saying at the bridge group, variables matter. Trish Bertuzzi even hashtag that variables matter on a bunch of LinkedIn posts because those are some of the variables that are really critical to take a look at when you're trying to determine what's the right quota. That's interesting. Well, for our last one, let's move on to this emerging role that it seems everyone's (laughs) talking about is so critical to sales productivity and that's sales enablement. What jumped out at you about the sales enablement role? So the big thing is the on-target earnings is up 42% from when we did this survey two years ago. So it's now up to a median total on-target earnings of $176,000, which is amazing. But I think it really just highlights how companies kind of of all sizes now really are really seeing that this is such a critical role to make your sales team successful. The meeting experience has stayed the same, but I think what's really critical is that these are experienced roles, five years experience in an enablement role, and that more than half of the teams said or companies responded that prior sales experience to be a sales enablement person was really important, which I totally agree. Because I, to me, the value in this role is being able to do the translation of content and information that you get from marketing or product marketing and turn it into that sales speak. Don't just take what marketing or product marketing gives you because it's typically not how you can talk to your buyers. <laughs> I guess this is the nicest way I'll put it. And it has to be salesified. <laughs> I'm making up words now. That's okay. That's what we do in sales. We do. We make it up and see if it sticks, right? Because I know, you know, Ray, you've seen it and been there as well as what I've seen is that marketing will give sales a 50-page PowerPoint deck. 
here's your initial presentation. And it's all about us as a vendor. It's all about the awards we won. It's about product and feature. And sales has to take that. And they usually slim it down to five or 10 slides and then add in their owns and change the wording. So it's like, why did marketing even spend the time putting together that 50 page PowerPoint? Yeah, I know. I've been guilty of that where I was creating a great corporate presentation for some a road show or for analyst presentations. And I give it to my salespeople and say, see, look how great this presentation is. Let's <laughs> use it for our customers. They look at me and it's like, who did you build this for? I'm like, oh, right. I forgot. I'm in sales too. You know, the one thing that Sally, that 42% increase, that tells me this is a supply demand issue going on, that there's just a lot more demand for this emerging role than there's a supply of capable candidates. That's the, the only thing that explains to me a 42% increase. Does that make sense? Well, I think it is because it's gotten to be so popular, right? And it's still a relatively new role, if you will. I mean, I think that probably within the last 10 years is when this has really started to emerge and gain some strengths. And so, it, you know, as I said, a lot of smaller companies, it used to only be for the larger companies. And now you see smaller companies, even 15 and $20 million companies that are starting to build out sales enablement. So there's a lot more need. And again, if you've got sales experience, while it's still really good money, it's not if you're a good sales rep, it's not what you could make as a really good field sales AE or even an inside sales AE now. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And I think that's why you probably see, you know, the compensation split there is around 75% is base salary and only 25% yes. is at risk or variable comp. Yes. Yeah, which I think is really important because, you know, I think as you and I talked about before, Ray, it, it's sort of like the old adage. I mean, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink it. And so you can put together the, the best on target training for salespeople. You can put together the best content and case studies and case stories, but you can't force them to use it. Right. So this is where it's really important that sales enablement is working really closely, in particular with the frontline sales management team about, OK, we've developed all this. Now, how are we going to ensure there's adoption and utilizing it? And that frontline sales management role is the most critical for that second piece of it. Right. And under the theme of we really need to make our existing sales resources, inside sales, field sales, more productive. That's what sales enablement does. But when I looked at sales operations, it had very similar traits. I thought maybe sales enablement was getting all the investment, but even sales operations on target earnings were up 36%. And the median experience almost doubled. So it looks like both of these supporting organizations are really in demand right now. Yes. And you know what? And it's getting into, again, the smallest companies. We see it, you know, again, sales ops used to be for larger companies. Maybe we didn't even see sales ops starting until a 40 or $50 million company. And now it's down into the really small companies because we've got some great sales tools out there now that we didn't have access to before either. And it's so much easier to get the data, but we need somebody other than the sales leader to be keeping an eye on it and to giving us that insights and being able to run the data and being that right-hand person 
of the CRO. So, you know, they're doing a whole bunch of things, but, you know, we also see a lot of needs in the setting up your CRM properly. I mean, I've seen recently where like some marketing operations, people are owning the CRM and like the SDR leader will go (laughs) and try to say, okay, we need this field added so that I can give better measurements and track and really understand where my team is, you know, how are these inbound leads flowing and sale and then marketing ops is like, yeah, no, we don't really need that. Well, maybe marketing operations does it, but it's absolutely critical on the sales side. And so sales needs to have that representation (laughs) and being able to get the things that they need to track and measure all aspects of their business properly. Yeah, I always call that the CRM system, whether it's a Salesforce or Microsoft Dynamics, it's really the hub of your digital sales organization. However, the number of point solutions that B2B SaaS companies have added on, sales engagement platforms, conversational intelligence platforms, video platforms, the integration of both the system, but also the alignment and sharing of data across those systems is such a critical role for sales operations today. That is such a great point, and it's so huge. And I think that this is where we need to even grow our sales ops teams so much more because one of the things that I know we find from the bridge group, because again, we're steeped in the inside sales, sales development world, is that there's a lot of tools that we're using that are more focused, let's say, in those two arenas than the field using them. And unfortunately, those teams are not getting the proper support they may do. We may get sales ops to do initial integration with like our sales engagement tools, like a outreach, a sales loft, a sales view, a a Zant. But we don't get any of the long-term help. And so these tools are not being used anywhere near as effectively because we're allowing like the SDR leader to be sort of responsible for them or the inside sales leader. And they just don't have the bandwidth and the cycles either to properly keep their eye on the ball with all these different tools that their teams are now using. You know, Sally, we're going to have to wrap up today, but I'll tell you, there's so much rich information within this research. And one of the mantras here at RevOps Squared is we want to help enable CEOs, CFOs, and go-to-market team leaders make better data-driven, metrics-informed decisions. For our listeners, if they want to see all the details that we weren't able to discuss today, where can they find this research report, Sally? Yeah, so thanks, Ray. There's a couple of places. So this particular research report that we just recently did here on those six roles, I think it was, is they really need to email me and I can send it to them. It's sally at bridgegroupinc.com. Then on our website of bridgegroupinc.com, we have our SaaS AE and software AE surveys under resources that we just released earlier this year. Those were US-wide information, a little bit more detail around each role, metrics, KPIs. We also have an SDR survey on our website, research report on our website that goes into a lot more in depth about that role as well. But we're in the process of refreshing that survey. And so if you run one of those teams, also email me or look on the link. I think in our blog post section, there's also a link to being able to take the survey for the SDR refresh that will be coming out hopefully later this year. Okay. Well, as we enter the 2021 budget 
planning phase. I can't believe I'm saying 2021, but I'm sure now happy we're getting beyond 2020. Yes, soon enough. <laughs> for those people, whether you're a CFO, CEO, CRO, if you're interested in seeing the industry's latest insight on sales compensation specific to the Bay Area, please do visit bridgegroupinc.com. And Sally, thank you so much for being on the Metrics That Measure Up podcast today. Thanks so much, Ray, for having me. It was really great and loved all your questions and comments. So thanks for all the interactive part of it. Okay, have a great day. Good selling out there. Thank you for listening to today's Metrics That Measure Up podcast. If you would like to learn more about B2B SaaS metrics and benchmarks, please visit revopsquared.com.